All right, hey, what's up, FMBA Nation? This is Bill Brower, and in this episode, I got to talk with Mark Junkerman, who's an active law enforcement commander in Maryland with nearly three decades of service, which includes nearly two decades of advocating for first responder safety and wellness. He continues to provide regular consultation and instructional support in this arena to various agencies across the country, in addition to serving as a mental health first aid instructor and as an International Critical Incident Stress Foundation faculty member. Mark and I had a great conversation. We talked about a program called Planning to Thrive, which introduces adaptable management concepts intended to assist you in implementing and maintaining a successful culture of first responder wellness. Mark is a great guy. We had him at one of our February conventions where he was a keynote speaker talking about mental health, and he is a wealth of knowledge and resources when it comes to the mental health arena. So sit back, enjoy the episode, and as always, thank you for supporting FMBA Nation. All right, what's up, guys? This is Bill Brower with FMBA Nation coming to you live from the Pro studio here in Rahway, New Jersey. I've got the honor and privilege to be joined by a good friend of ours, Mark Junkerman, also known as Junk. Um, he is an active law enforcement commander in Maryland with nearly three decades of service, which includes nearly two decades of advocating for first responder safety and wellness. Um, Mark, thanks for, for jumping on the call with me. I know uh, you're entrenched in a lot of different things. And, and uh, you know, we had you come down to the convention a couple of years ago um, talking about some mental health awareness stuff. And I think the conversation that uh, we want to talk about today is an important one, given the times that we're in, given all the craziness that's going on between the social stuff that's going on in the country, the pandemic that's continually plaguing us, you know, day in and day out as first responders. So thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on the call. I appreciate it. No, I th thanks for having me, Bill, and uh, for making me sound so fancy. I'm, I'm not nearly that fancy down here in Maryland. They don't, they don't introduce me like that. So, no, <laughs> it's an honor. Um, I appreciate uh, everything you all are doing up there. And, um, you, you know, um, well done on your end. I know you do a lot of wellness, uh, uh, a lot of wellness programs up there, and, and that's what we need. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah no problem. So, let's talk about uh, this discussion, which is uh, planning to thrive. You know, um, good intentions are not good enough. Um, lasting change stems from the creation of sustainable culture and not piecemeal programming, as you, you put. Um, you know, creating that type of environment requires a deliberate and orchestrated process. Uh, P2P, P2, excuse me, P2T, planning to thrive, uh, introduces adaptable management concepts intended to assist you in implementing and maintaining a successful culture of first responder wellness. The blueprint is yours. These are just a few extra tools for your box to help you with the build. Tell me about this P2T concept and what, uh, what we can do um, as first responders to kind of implement this thought process. So, you know, I, I am not, I am not uh, doing anything that a lot of other people aren't doing. Um, I just have packaged up in a way that makes sense for me, uh, sort of an approach to wellness and resiliency that is more front end loaded rather than back end loaded. And frankly, it's more, let's call it organizational management centric 
rather than behavioral health. And, and, and what I mean is, I guess the best way we can illustrate that is uh, as first responders, you know, we're all familiar with, with ICS and the model and the NIMS model. And we, because of troops, time and treasure, because of the way we're wired, because of the things that we need to do, we tend to focus on response and mitigation. That's what we talk about. That's what we practice. That's what we, you know, train for. That's where we kind of make our money. And, 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 and yes, because we are the people who need to, you know, address those issues directly, regardless of, of what your discipline is. For years, we focused on that and we never really looked at that back end, that recovery part, because, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of these incidents are over in minutes or hours, but the lingering effects can be days, weeks, years. So the trend was um, starting some years back to say, hey, what are we doing for our first responders after these traumatic incidents? What are we doing? And there's been models for literally for 30 years, but the real push you know, in my world started about a, a little more than a decade ago, let's say. And we were really focused on after these you know, horrible things we see or these experiences that we have or the cumulative stress of just day in, day out, what are we doing to help our first responders? And that's, I, I think that's a fabulous idea. Um, you know, uh, I got into that mindset when I realized you know, you're at your fifth or sixth, in my world, law enforcement funeral. And, you know, you start to think uh, we are really sending this, this guy or girl off like they should. This is what we should do. This is what we should honor. However, it bothers me to think if we spent half as much time, for lack of a better term, keeping them out of the box, you know, doing things on the front end so we don't have to stand here in our shiny uniforms, then, you know, maybe that's where our money is. So, we had that, but one of the things as I've gone through my own journey and, and, and looked at this that we've kind of forgotten is there's five mission areas. You know, we have that, we have that, you know, response mitigation and recovery, but the first two areas are pre or prevent and protect. So I started looking at this as, you know, what are we doing or not doing way on the front end before anything even bad happens, before we even, um, uh, before we even have somebody in our academy, how are we hiring? How are we selecting? How are we training our people? How are we doing some sort of front end inoculation? Um, you hear a term left of bang. There's actually a book. Uh, Pat Van Horn wrote this book. It's, a, it's actually a tactical manual for Marines, but the concept is, is the same. What are we doing on that front end to mitigate the risks and to mitigate the impact of these critical incidents well before they actually happen? So the thought is, instead of building better cops, soldiers, firefighters, PCOs, medics, are we building better people? Are we bringing better people to the table who will then be able to do better? So that's, uh, in my long-winded way, that's the nutshell, is what are we doing before this stuff happens? And do we have a blueprint and a plan to get us through and create, like we say, a culture and not just a program? You know, we're looking for a normative a normative culture as opposed to a policy that mandates things. Yeah. And again, my, my concept is other people are doing it. It's just, I have a certain package that's comfortable for me. So you spoke, <coughs> excuse me. You spoke about your journey here. Tell us a little bit about how you, uh, how you got started in, in this, uh, in this program. Like where did you start um, in yeah. terms of mental health awareness and, and the mental health field and, and kind of bring us to where you are right now with this program? 
So, you know, I am um, originally from um, the Philadelphia area. I grew up in a, a, a place called Marcus Hook, which is just south of Philly. Um, you know, I am prior service military. Um, I ended up in Maryland because um, that's where the job was. Um, uh, I've started out like any other, you know, street cop in that in, in that department and in that Baltimore area. Um, was fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of cool things, you know, undercover, SWAT, federal task force, all those cool high speed, low drag things that we like to talk about and do. And um, I was a good cop. I was I was a good cop. Um, as part of that journey, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, um, you kind of got the gift of gab and you know, you're pretty good with people. Would you think about being involved with at the time, what was called our CIT program, which is crisis intervention team. Think of that as the, as a them training. It's, it's where we train our folks to be able to go and interact with people who are in crisis, who suffer from mental illness, other, you know, other debilitating type um, illnesses to, to give us a better way to communicate, connect, divert um, when we're out there in the field. So, you know, I said, uh, well, I, am I being asked or am I being told? And I said, well, you're kind of being told. <laughs> well, roger that. <laughs> you know? So, you know, then the running joke is I went from, you know, mutant ninja turtle to care bear. So I'm, I'm dealing, I'm dealing with that aspect of it. But it, it, it interested me it, and, it, and it, it helped me grow. And so I got really heavy into the CIT. And then I got introduced a little bit on the fringe uh, when we started asking the question, we're helping everybody else. What are we doing for our own people? You know, we we see our own men and women suffering from, you know, uh, everything from traumatic incidents to addictions to whatever. Yeah. So that's how I got into the um, the the peer support and what the, the, the a specific model called CISM, which is critical incident stress management. It's kind of a it's kind of a catch all for things. That's actually a specific model, but it's you know it's helping it's it's us helping each other with some you know clinical support. Right. I was good at that. So you know I was a pretty good cop. I was a pretty good soldier. Um, I was a pretty good CISM guy. Um, I was a lousy husband twice. I was kind of a lousy son. Um, I wasn't always the best father. And what I realized in my journey is when I finally recognized that there was stuff on the back end that I needed, that I needed personally to help me, I, I understood it. But even with all my training, with everything else, I, I couldn't quite engage. You know, I nibble around the edges. I try to do things and, and I understood it cognitively. But what I didn't realize is, you know, it's like anything else. Until you are ready, you're not going to get the full benefit of, you know, that back end. So I finally was ready. And in the last, you know, as this has evolved in the last four or five years, I've, I've gotten to that point where I'm like, wow, a lot of, a lot of own self-discovery, self-reflection, um, humble. Um, realizing that, you know, you, um, I, I like to say, um, uh, I, I'd rather be better than bitter um, and carrying that guilt around and, and those things that's, that's not going to go away. You have to put it down before you can, you can move forward. Um, you have to ask for forgiveness, even if you know you're not going to get absolution because that's part of the process. All these things people told me and it was pretty cool. Um, but then I started thinking about, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have gone through the same thing or worse than me. 
And why, why didn't they get dinged for lack of a better term? Like I did, why didn't they, you know, so I started looking into how we, how we lead, how we train, how certain people, you know, maintain the resiliency and, you know, more and more, what I saw was it's not about, again, a program. It's not about a specific, you know, piece of the puzzle. It's about creating a safety net. Um, we, we basically are hiring trapeze artists. Our professions take highly trained, very talented individuals. We send them out there highly motivated. We send them out there on the trapeze in front of God and everybody <laughs> in a zero fail environment. And some people actually want to see them fall off that trapeze because that's, that's, that's human nature, right? The reason they do it is because we have a safety net. What I kind of realized was, first of all, if you don't have that safety net in place in the, to begin with, all these things are going to fester until that back end where now it's for lack of a better term, acute. If you look at a, if you look at a net, there's there's not just one strand. So I started thinking about, you know, for me, the behavioral health stuff helped and and that sort of thing, and 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 looking into um, how addiction works and how your brain works. Because while I don't have certain appetites, I have other appetites that I need to be very careful of because it's my nature. You know, go hard or go home. Uh, second place is just the first loser, like a lot of us. You know, and things that are supposed to be enjoyable suddenly become competition and that's you know part of my journey but i say that because i realized that most places were building an after program that had one big strand <laughs> that said behavioral health maybe they throw addictions on the top and i'm like well i'm not saying that's that's not important it's hugely important but first of all everybody else who doesn't have those things quite yet are going to have them after they fall through and hit the ground right and those people who do, if we have no way to triage and deal with this stuff on the front end, a, a, an actual plan, how it's, it's basic medical 101. You know, if, if, if I'm out tagging people in a triage, I need to know who needs help first and most. If not, everybody is going to try to um, uh, receive those services. And what I do is, is, is I, 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 I get a rush. You know what I mean? I get, I overwhelm the system. And I think, in my humble opinion, I see that happening where we keep talking about, yes, we need this behavioral health. Yes, we need these addictions, you know, resources on the back end. But on the same token, we're not doing anything on the front end for ourselves. We're not taking the ownership to kind of make sure we're mitigating, preventing and protecting before we get there. Right. So that's kind of the journey is, is it was an awakening through my own sort of, you know, walking through the fire and coming out and saying, is there a little, is there something we could do a little better? And I'm not a clinician. Um, I'm not that guy. I realized I am not the best peer support guy. Um, I tend to be the lighthouse that keeps everybody off the rocks and gets them in. But when you really need to sit down with somebody, I'm not the fire, man. There's somebody else that does that because I'm busy getting people off the rocks. Right, right. So this approach for me and my thought process and the way I do things of making this more of organizational management that is supported with mental health works in, in my world and sort of in my head. So... I mean, for what it's worth, that, that's how I got here. Um, and uh, the, uh, is, it, is it working? Is it right? Is it wrong? I don't, I don't know. Um, 
But that's the other thing too. It's not the destination, it's the journey. You know, uh, we got to give it a shot. Even if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. You own it, you, you, you reflect, you figure out the next thing. But that's good management as well, that evaluation cycle. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's my story. You, uh, you make a really interesting analogy. I've never heard that one before. And, and it kind of rings true in, in so many different ways. And that's the triage analogy, mm-hmm. you know, in, in recognizing at, a, at a, a mass casualty incident that you've got so many different people. And that's what really this whole topic is, right? I mean, we're, we're dealing with, a, with an MCI at the mental mm-hmm. health level for yeah. first responders. And your, your, your analogy is really spot on. Um, trying to figure out who needs the most help first and then weeding through, you know, all the patients and victims and trying to figure out from there, okay, this, this person's at this level, I need to move on to the next person and so on and so forth without overtaxing, you know, the resources that we have in place. Uh, Interesting analogy, man. Um, You know, I I wanted to touch on two things that you, you had mentioned um, in your journey and I know it, it probably comes down to an individual level, like you might not have the answer, but for you, you spoke about, you need to be ready, right? You need to be ready in order to receive that, um, that, that support and, and really, <clears throat> really make a difference in terms of your, your own mental health. When did you know, like, what was that moment in time? When did you know you were ready to receive the help that you needed or receive the, the, um, you know, the coaching or however you want to put it? When did you know you were ready for that? Was there, was there like a light bulb that just went on or was there a, an awakening in, in, in your life that you just kind of figured, Hey, this is it. Yeah. 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 No, I had a, I had sort of a, a confluence and a convergence of a multiple different things. My, my uh, marriage was unfortunately collapsing. Um, I was having, um, you know, just the usual, you know, as you go through your journey, your career journey at work, you're hitting those hiccups and those things where, you know, there's a lot of people battling for limited resources and spots. And then I had um, my father um, who I had already lost my mom to cancer. My dad got sick and I became sort of a, a primary caregiver for him or one of the primary caregivers for him. So I think that was the moment where, I realized I was kind of stripped down to bare wood. And this was, a, this was about four years ago. And I remember literally sleeping on my office floor because I've been, you know, I'm outdoors in my house. My pop lives up, you know, outside of Philly still. I'm in Maryland. There ain't no way I'm commuting back and forth on a daily, but you know, so yeah. doing all my job, whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of laying on this floor and I, I kind of in the quiet, in the dark, you know, there was nothing else to do but kind of think and reflect. And I, I kind of realized that, look, you're, you're, you're preaching this stuff, but you're not living it. And what I kind of realized was I had been providing peer support from a whole and, um, Th- that kind of became the, the, the stepping stone. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of circle back to that. So I said, I need, to, I need to do something, but I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to do this. I'm not sure. So like anything else, it's like losing weight, trying to stop smoking, trying to eat your nibbling. You're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat four protein bars and all blueberries on Tuesday. And then, you know, um, I'm going to drive with all the windows down so I freeze and I can't, vi- whatever. It, you know, you, you have all these strange strategies and a lot of it ends up being you know white knuckle where i'm just going to suck it up and it's that usually doesn't doesn't work so i had the desire i just didn't have the tools
All right, let me ask you a question. Are you like me and need a cup of coffee in the morning to get your day off to a good start? How about an afternoon cup of bean at the station? We all know that shift work is brutal to our sleep cycles and that we could use a cup of joe to give us that push through the shift. That's where our friends from Fire Department Coffee come in. Whether you're a firefighter, an EMT, or dispatcher, do yourself a favor and try them out. We have a special offer for our listeners and supporters. Go to firedepartmentcoffee.com. That's F-I-R-E-D-E-P-T-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use promo code FMBA on your next purchase for 15% off. In addition, for every purchase made using promo code FMBA, Fire Department Coffee will donate 15% of the sale to our Mark Virag Memorial Cancer Fund. These guys are great people and are career firefighters themselves just trying to make really good coffee to help us get through our next shift. So go buy some today and don't forget to use promo code FMBA. And I started to surround myself and immerse myself even more in this idea of, you know, helping other people with addictions. Um, And I say that because, you know, that was the closest thing I could equate to my issue. Like, and it got to the point where I was almost like, like, this sounds like really horrible, but I almost wanted somebody to diagnose me and say, you're addicted to this and you have this and you have that, because then I could go, oh, okay, now fix me. What do I do? And what I realized is I'm one of those people, guys, my personality, my nature, my chemistry is such as it is. I don't know if you're ever going to be able to say it's this and you do these three things and you take this pill and you're going to be much better. Hey, two cookies and call me in the morning. Exactly. So I was kind of in this situation where I'm like, I was surrounding myself uh, again. And, and I, I don't mean the people, but I was surrounding myself with dysfunction for me in order to try to justify my dysfunction, to kind of quantify and qualify. Because what I realize now is it would have been very easy to go, you know what, I have a problem. I have an illness. It's not my fault. People who suffer from addiction, it's, I, I truly believe it's an illness. People who suffer from mental, uh, from you know behavioral health issues, there's chemical imbalances, there's things. It's no different than if you suffer from diabetes, if you suffer from you know high high cholesterol, if you have certain things. The recognition of that is is so important. But like anything else, once we recognize it, to me, I was realizing in my for for me, I was recognizing it. I wasn't doing anything about it. So it was kind of like, okay, I, I, I am dysfunctional right now because I'm not doing my job well. I'm not doing my family well. I'm not doing life well. So whatever the reason is, I'm dysfunctional. I need to find that reason. I, I need to find why I'm doing certain you know, behaviors. But I can't blame the behavior. I can't blame what I'm doing because I'm doing that for a reason, if that makes sense. It's like this chicken, you know, what's the chicken or the egg. So as I'm surrounded with this dysfunction, I had this moment to say, you know what? I I preach to my troops, stop making victim noises. Just stop making the victim noises. And here's what I mean by that. We're all going to have struggles. We're all going to have challenges. We all have something where, you know, I'm never going to speak, you know, I'm never going to play the oboe. Um, I'm never going to be an astronaut. (laughs) It's just, I can want it all day long. Unless, unless you win that contest that that guy's running where you can go to the moon, you might be an astronaut then. With with an oboe. If you throw an oboe in there, maybe a unicycle, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm I'm there, man. You can blast me, right? (laughs) 
So, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I came to this realization that there are people, I am in a hole right now, and I just have to get over the fact that <laughs> I am not as high speed low drag as I thought. I don't have a big ass on my chest. I am in a freaking hole and I need help. Mm-hmm. So I looked up and I realized I'm in this hole. I look up and I, I see faces looking down. And some of the faces are faces I would expect to be there to help me. And some of them were people who I would never thought of. And I said, hey, I'm in a hole. And they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> You know you're in a hole. The only person who didn't know you were in a hole was you, man. Right, exactly. Yeah. And what they basically said to me was, and this is was the epiphany was, we'll help you get out of the hole, but I ain't hurting my back lifting you out. Mm-hmm. And if you're afraid of the sunshine, it's okay. We'll be with you up here until you get your eyes adjusted. But you know what, bro? If you're okay in the hole, like if you if you are if you're jamming in the hole and you're comfortable and you're good, that's up to you. If you want to stay down there, we're not making a judgment. We're not making an ex. There's no expiration on the offer. There's no obligation. If you want to stay in the hole, stay in the hole. If you want to get out of the hole, we'll help you get out of the hole. But it's up to you to decide. And that's where I kind of had this epiphany for me. And what I talk about is this daily mantra. Um, every day, you got to commit to a mission. I got to, every day I figure out why I'm getting out of bed. You got to have a reason. Once I do that, I got to take ownership for myself, full ownership for myself. Um, you know, I've been slaying dragons, fighting dragons for a lot of years. And then I realized that, you know, the dragon was actually the person looking in the mirror back at me. That reflection was the dragon. And then I realized that it really wasn't a dragon. It was just me, <laughs> a part of me that I hadn't been able to corral, understand, you know, and um once I started taking ownership, warts and all, and, and realizing that it's okay not to be okay, it's okay not to be number one, um, it's okay to have these dings. You know, I remember being told long ago by a man in a funny hat in North Carolina, you know, fair is just a weather condition and normal is just a cycle in the washing machine. You know, you, you, have, to, you have to figure it out. Um, once I kind of embrace that fact that it's, it's, I might not always like me, but I am what I am and I, and I have what I have to work with. Um, it helped me to understand what we need to do that third part, which is, you know, taking ownership for once you take ownership for yourself and take care of the me. Now you take care of the way and you're accountable to and for your peers where I failed in my journey, cycling all the way back to what we're talking about is I was so worried about taking care of the we. I never took care of the me because I was afraid I was prideful and I was ashamed. And what I did is I did a disservice to a lot of the we's I was trying to take care of because they weren't getting, they weren't getting the true me. They weren't getting actually what they needed. Um, They were more of my, they were more of my, they were giving me more peer support at times than I was giving them because I was reflecting and we were kind of, you know, sharing our bad stories. And sometimes we were actually wallowing in it. So that's, that's where's the epiphany for me is to say, you, you gotta, you gotta have a plan. Um, you can't just wing this. You can't just wing life. You know, scratch offs is, should not be your retirement plan. You know, my, my thought that I'm going to go and, it, 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 you know, having, you know, Island Jade in the eighth race hit at, at, you know, Philadelphia Park is not, woo, you know, I'm not going to retire. I think I put a couple dollars on that horse. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I call winning by design, not by default. Listen, you're an AC. You throw that money on the table. You want to be the house. You don't you don't want to be the guy on the other side of the table. Yeah. And what I forgot was you think that the, it, the sales are, are weighed. It's not. The percentages are just it's 
we're playing percentages. And that's where this other part of risk management comes in. You know, in my world, I wear body armor on the street. My troops wear body on the street, body armor street. In your world, you wear bunker gear. You know, your medics are taking, you know, standard precautions or making sure they have masks and gloves. A, there are bullets that are not going to be stopped by my body armor. You can go in a fire and that bunker gear is still going to, to not protect you 100% from that fire. A medic can still get stuck. Yeah. You know, can still get something. But we're playing the percentages. It's not about 100%. It's about tipping the scale on our side ahead of the game, anticipating the risk, understanding the environment, understanding the culture, we, the, the, the operational environment we're in, basically arming ourselves for risk management, assessing risk and figuring out where that risk is going to be before it gets up in our face, and then having some kind of plan in order to mitigate that so we can create this culture. And if you lay that over an organizational management model, what you have is basically your mission and vision statement with what am I operating in? The risk management comes down to your policy and procedures that when by design, not by default, is your training plan and your training sort of implementation. And then that creating a culture, that's how you implement it. That's how you build succession planning. That's how you create leaders. That's how you create the, the organization you want. And then you just cycle that back into just your standard, like, you know, run of the mill management cycle where you do evaluation. So kind of in my all over the place way of describing this, what happened is I realized that I was failing because I didn't have a plan, not because I was bad, not because I was broken, not because I didn't want it, but I didn't have a plan. And until I had a plan, I wasn't going to succeed. I was just going to spin my wheels. So it wasn't the moment that I realized where, hey, I'm in trouble. That was the epiphany. The epiphany was the moment I realized that I'm going to need help and I'm going to need a plan in order to actually succeed and move on. And that's kind of that's that's this whole concept in a nutshell for me. So the the the, the buzzword. So resiliency, right, is, is a big buzzword when it comes to uh, mental health and, and yeah. first responders. And, and we talk about being resilient and how to be resilient. Um, you're you're actually speaking at a conference later on this year. And the topic is going to be decide to thrive. A culture of wellness starts with you. Mm -hmm. And in your overall message of build a culture, not just a program, you've got four driving themes that you, themes that you've you've kind of touched upon each one a little bit. Yeah. Um, could you could you kind of dive into that a little bit? I know um, we're up against the clock, but I, I think this conversation is is really um, going to hit home to a lot of people. So. Um, could you could you touch on those four different themes and and I'll lay them out for you as you have here. Uh, culture drives the bus. Mm -hmm. Think left of bang. Mm -hmm. Win by design, which you've mentioned a couple times already, and everyone is a peer. Can you can you kind of touch on those four things for me? Sure. And this conference is is specifically for peers and things. So it's kind of what we just talked about. That first part where culture drives the bus. That is this idea that you need to understand the the environment that you're operating in and the environment that you are. Um, introducing yourself to, you know, one of the things that we know is that there's a lot of folks who aspire to be a firefighter, a police officer, a corrections professional, a medic, uh, whatever, for, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and some of those reasons are because of uh, th things or experiences that they have had before this job. Uh, what's frustrating to me is sometimes we take these really good people 
and we instead of recognizing some of what I call the salt in the recipe, you know, they're a little bit salty and that's what gives them their flavor. We want them bland. We say, no, cut that salt out. We don't want those pieces. We only want the prime pieces of you. You can't just cut a, a cut a piece of you out. If I'm going to bring you on board, I have to bring you on board with everything you bring to the table and learn how to integrate that in. Um, I also have to understand that, you know, when I bring you into a culture, that culture is going to reshape and re-socialize you, okay? Regardless of what you're bringing to the table, I'm going to shape you again. And then as you move through your career and your life, you're going to continue to be reshaped. So the first part is as an organization, as a profession, as people, understand that we are create. We have a very unique sort of role, and we also have a very unique environment. Um, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that sometimes bad things are going to happen because of what we do and we see. So, what are we doing to embrace that in the first part? So that's that first part, and that's what we're talking about: understanding, you know, the culture drives the bus. You know, this is this is where we are. This is who we are. This is what we do as a mission, as a vision. The second part of that is at work left of bang. And that's where I talk about, um, we have a couple models uh, I, I use, um, arm yourself for risk management. If you think about it like a radar screen, basically what you're trying to do is something comes up on the radar and a lot of times you're not sure what it is. And we call that a bogey, basically, uh, you know, the, 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 Air, the Airedales call that a bogey. I'm not sure what that is, but what you're trying to decide is, is it a bandit or is it a buddy? The problem is sometimes you don't realize it until it gets in your face. This whole idea of left the bang is creating systems within your organization, creating management within your organization that will help you not only identify what those things are, but identify them quickly before they're up in your grill. And now you have to make some sort of, you know, knee jerk decision. And also to make a decision, is this something we need to basically mitigate or is this something that, you know, we have an opportunity that we can integrate into our system. Sometimes the things that we think are, are actually the, um, the ghosts or the monsters or the bad things, if we just tweak them a little bit, we can actually make them work for us. So that's the second phase. Third phase is, again, we talked about win by design, not by default. You got to have a plan. Um, I talk, start off talking about that personal plan on a daily basis. And then we talk about how do we do this, you know, organizationally? How do we create an organizational plan for wellness resiliency? Um, and then that final part, we're building a culture. I, I, I can't speak for your agency. I can't speak for your folks up there, uh, but I will, I will say, and I'm fairly confident that we've all seen these flash in the pan sort of knee jerk reactions to either, um, a need or what we think is a need or to, you know, it's the, it's the crisis du jour. So we, we do a policy, we do a planning, we do a training and it falls by the wayside. Um, this, everyone is a peer concept is this idea that once I take care of the me, I should not only want to take care of the we, but I am actually obligated to take care of the we. I am obligated to that man or woman next to me. Because if they are non-mission capable, that impacts me. That impacts, you know, the person next to you. So this idea that, you know, we're in a vacuum, we're in a silo, you know, I've, I've said this at other places, thin blue line, thin red line, unless you're actually creating a normative culture where that means something, it's just a clothing accessory. It's just a bracelet you're wearing or a bumper sticker, you know, and then, then, then put up the salt life. It's, there's no difference. You, right, you know, right. So that's those four concepts. And what we hope is if we can do that, that is sort of the, the cultural shift where things become 
Um, instead of motivation, they become intrinsic and it becomes inspiration. And once we can shift that from motivation, that external push, which everybody needs to help and maintain to inspiration, where you have that epiphany and you say, it's time for me to own me and do this. I think what we'll end up doing, and I, let me rephrase that, that's, that's very bold. What I hope is we remember that we are bringing good people into this profession and we want to keep those things we want to keep those those parts of them that are good and not sort of burn them out um, and twist them and, and cut them and adapt them. So the person we started with is not the person in the end. And we call that remember that you're a person wearing a badge and not a badge wearing a person. Because yeah. when you become a badge or a patch or a radio call sign or an identifier, you've lost the individual. Um, my biggest failure was I should have been working on creating better people instead of better cops. Um, and the first better person I should have worked on was me. And if I could rewind the clock and go back and look at the young junk and say, where, where are you going to stumble the most? I said, right then, make sure you're healthy. Make sure you're, you're, you're okay with you because you can't take care of them. Me and take care of the way. So that's the concept in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> uh, Everything that you talk about, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm sure hits home uh, to a lot of people. I can resonate with, with some of these things you're talking about personally. And, um, you know, it, it's really interesting. The take that you have on it, um, you know, brings it to a level of understanding that I think a lot of people uh, will be able to grasp and absorb. You know, um, you've got this conference coming up in uh, September. It's going to be down in Ocean City, right? Uh, yes, that that's one place that uh people can go and, and and listen to you talk again we had you at the uh convention uh back in february a couple of years ago um if somebody wanted to hear more from you learn more about you um you know uh kind of learn some of these things that you're you're preaching uh, how do they go about doing so? Where are some places they can catch you at? How can they reach out to you? Do you have a website, anything like that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. I actually, because I am I am still on the job full time right now, um, it, you know, for, for obvious reasons, there are certain certain things I can and can't do because of my job position. But to answer your question, um, yeah, I'm going to be at, 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 in Ocean City. It's um, uh, first responder conferences. I believe it's I can't remember if it's a dot com or dot org. But if you just put your search engine first responder conferences, you'll see that come up. I'll be doing that. Um, I do do work with the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, ICISF. I'm listed as one of their faculty people, so um, I can do things through them. Um, uh, I also am going to be, for those who may be um, of different disciplines, more on the law enforcement correction side, it looks like I'm going to be doing a presentation at uh, COPS National this year in Oklahoma City. I just I just got the information on that. It looks like I'll be heading that way. But I, I got to tell you, Bill, if for your folks and your piece of the world, um, I love, I, if you need to get a hold of me, my suggestion is go through you, Troy, your, 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 your apparatus there, because that's how we support each other. And that's how we make sure that things are integrated and we're not having people fall through the cracks. So whether it's ICISF or you come to one of those two conferences or somebody just reaches out through to, to you or Troy and says, hey, where, what can we do? You guys have all my information and all my way, you know, ways to get a hold of me. Um, 
as I transition, maybe by 20, I guess in the next year, I'm looking to evolve myself. There may be some um, more direct methodology, but right now um, I'll, I'll go through you all and, and those foundations that are already supporting me right now. So, yeah, gotcha. yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what, what we do here and uh, kudos to, uh, to Troy and the entire CISM program, you know, Troy Powell's the, the committee chairman. Obviously that's the, the connection we have here. Uh, he met you a couple of years ago and um, you know, we've, we've been able to develop this, this bond and relationship between yourself and the FMBA. Um, you know, we do, we do a, an amazing job when, when it comes to that program and, and the peer support network. And, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and it's a lot of training and, and it's a lot of uh, really positive things that come out from that, um, you know, given, given the, the, the fluid nature of the job and, and how mm -hmm. often so many things come up. Um, so, you know, absolutely, we need to, uh, we need to continue utilizing that resource as best as we possibly can as uh, first responders. But Junk, man, I can't, I can't thank you enough for, for jumping on this call and, and talking with me. I think we could honestly go on for hours probably, you know, talking about this. And I'd love to have you come back on where we can kind of jump into some more uh, of these topics a little bit deeper. Um, but I really appreciate the time and, and, and what you put into this and uh, really looking forward to, to chatting with you again in the future. And I, I thank you for the platform. Um, you know, honestly, one of the reasons I, I do this and I talk so much and like to talk is because it's, it's cathartic. Um, you know, if there's one person I, I sort of uh, uh, associate myself with more than anything as I get older, it's old Don Quixote, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm the old knight who's tilting at windmills and everybody goes, man, is he doing that again? Like, when is he going to stop? And I, and I say, I, I, listen, I, I might not be everybody's jam, but you know what you're going to get <laughs> before you walk in the door. So, you know, uh, what, what, what can I say? But um, again, kudos to y'all. Um, always happy to help anything I can do. Um, you know, Mikasa, Sukasa, I've, I've got resources. We've got people down here in Maryland. Um, so yeah, y'all just be safe and, and remember, take care of the me before you take care of the way. So that's a good mantra. I think we all need to live by that. Well, thanks again, Junk. I appreciate it. And uh, be safe down there as well. Okay. Now, thank you. Take care. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up another great episode from FMBA Nation. Thanks for listening to it. And if you don't already, make sure that you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to this podcast on any of the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. And if you have an Alexa-enabled device and enabled the TuneIn skill, you can say, Alexa, play FMBA Nation podcast on TuneIn Radio. And if you're interested in being a sponsor of the podcast or would like to be featured on the FMBA Nation podcast where you can talk about your products and or services that you have to offer, be sure to email us at nation at njfmba.org. And until next time, be safe. Hey guys, Bill Brower here with FMBA Nation. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about ServPro of Central Union County in Western Essex County. These guys are a trusted leader in the restoration industry. They provide 24-hour residential commercial services with highly trained restoration technicians. 
they're a locally owned and operated business, and they're dedicated to being faster to any size disaster with the training, equipment, and expertise to handle your restoration and cleaning needs. Some of the things that they cover are water damage restoration, fire damage restoration, mold remediation, storm damage restoration, cleaning services, and building services, to name a few. These guys understand the stress and worry that comes with a fire or water damage and the disruption it causes to your life and home or business, and their goal is to help minimize the interruption to your life and quickly make it like it never even happened. Our friends over there, Carl Spinner and Bob Morrison, Carl has over 25 years of experience in the industry. Bob Morrison has over 35 years of service industry sales experience. So don't hesitate to give them a call. You can reach them at 908-233-7070.